Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. We're going to go through uh, verse 21. This is what the Word of God has to say. Paul writes, Look carefully, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I, I think presently there is a lot of confusion when the word worship is used. A lot of confusion both outside of the church and a lot of confusion even within the church. When we think about the ministry of worship, today many uh, think of worship, the worship ministry of the church simply as a product to be consumed. When they think about worship, when the word worship is used, what, what that elicits in their mind is a product to be consumed. And what I mean by that is that's, when, when, you, when you think about worship being something that you consume, it becomes about the preferences, the desires of the consumer, which fits very well into our consumer-driven culture. Um, thus, the, the main determining factor of those who are attending or, or worship for, for many is founded on personal preferences of music, uh, the, the music style, the preaching style, the, the formality or the informality of the church's liturgy and, and all those sorts of things. Attendance is, uh, is not understood as an integral part of someone's spiritual life, but rather an option that is equal to all other sorts of things in their life. And so many today, when they think about worship and whether or not they're going to attend worship, that question is on equal plane with every other thing on their calendar. So visiting family and vacations and work and, um, and, and a thousand other things all are vying for that same attention and, and place of importance. In this passage, Paul is writing to the church as to how they are to live and how they are to interact with other believers within the church. In verse 19 and verse 20 references the, the public expression of worship of the church. And, but, and I believe the, the whole passage is instructive to our understanding of worship. So from this passage, I want us to see these things. Number one, worship, we must worship with integrity intentionality, purpose. We must worship with integrity. Secondly, we must worship in faithfulness. So faithfulness to what? Faithfulness to the Word of God, what the Lord teaches about worship, what the Bible instructs about worship. And then, then lastly, worship uh, for God's glory, that what we do here and when we worship is not something to satisfy a consumer-driven desire. We worship as an offering we bring to the living God. Let's begin with worship with integrity. Now, I find this primarily in that very opening verse of verse 15. 
But verse 15 and verse 16, but, but primarily that very first phrase that Paul uses. And if you'll look with me back in your Bibles, Paul says two words in, the, in, in verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Now, what I think he's getting at there is that when we worship, our worship must be intentional. Our worship must be intentional. So Paul begins with this command to look carefully. Now that word that is translated carefully is an interesting word to me and I think it's instructive to, to understand what it means. It, the, the literal meaning means to be accurate, strict, exact, or precise. The Greek word there is akrobos. It has a relationship to the word where we get the, uh, the, the, uh, the root word, we get our word acrobat. But the, but the idea there is that you are looking carefully and you are placing your foot down precisely where it needs to be. Now there are some times when you don't have to worry about where you put your feet and how you're walking. If you're walking on nice level flat ground, you don't probably give much attention to that. But if you're walking a path that's on the, on the edge of a mountain and you've only got a couple of inches where your foot must be and you want to make sure that you don't slip and fall to your death, in those situations, you pay a lot of attention to where your foot's going to be. You are exact. You're precise. You look carefully that each step is right where it ought to be. And when Paul begins his teaching, he says, look carefully. This is not something we can enter into with happenstance. This is not something we can do and just hope it all works out. No, we need to be intentional about our worship. This command is for us to be intentional, to be purposeful, to be careful how we walk before the Lord. When this standard is applied to worship, it changes how you approach it all together. It's often been said, and I think it's absolutely true, that Sunday morning worship attendance is a Saturday night decision. Meaning, what happened today, you being here at church this morning, was a decision that was prepared for yesterday, maybe even before that. Sunday morning worship attendance is a Saturday night decision. The reality of it is when you apply the standard of being careful how you approach worship, it, it changes your approach to worship altogether. This means that, that, that you, you plan for it, that you prepare for it, that you intend to be about of it. You are careful about your worship. You're exact about your worship. Now, I don't want to stir the pot too much here, but can I just ask you to think in your own heart, have you been careful about your worship? Have you been exact about your worship? Do you plan your life around the worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Do you plan on Saturday night to be in the house of the Lord on Sunday morning? Or has your worship been more happenstance? Go lucky, just hope it works out. The command that Paul gives us is we must be intentional. We must be exact, purposeful in our worship. In all areas of faithfulness before the Lord, it requires that you be intentional. And that includes worship. Faithful worship begins with being careful and intentional in our worship. Be intentional and certainly be purposeful. So Paul goes further in his command that we are to make the best use of our time. Look at what he says in there in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. And then in verse 16 he says... Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. 
Now, here's the truth, and it didn't take me many books to come to this truth. I know it intuitively. It does not take effort to waste time. Amen? I don't care who you are, you're an expert at wasting time. We can all do that well. It doesn't take any effort to waste time. It takes no effort to squander an opportunity. Probably if we were to have a one-to-one conversation, we all could express some moments in our life where we would say, man, if I could just go back. Knowing what I know now, if I could go back, I would do that differently because there was an opportunity that I I squandered, I, I didn't seize. It takes very little forethought to spend time on worthless endeavors. In fact, if you're not paying attention to how you're spending your time, the likelihood of you giving your good, your, your good gift of time to worthless things is a, is a high probability. The urgent truth is that time is limited and fleeting. I don't know the number of your days, but even if God were to give all of us many days on this earth, and we were to live well past 100. In the view of eternity, 120 years is but a mist. And the overwhelming majority of us will have much less than that. Time is fleeting. I'm fully convinced that when the Lord returns, many will be pleading for just a little bit more time. I'm convinced that many will say, Lord, give just a little, uh, just one more moment for me to repent of my sin. I think there will be some who will beg, Lord, give me just one more minute to share the gospel with a friend or a loved one, a family member. Oh, God, can you wait just a little bit more for me to serve you and do something for you? Jesus, Paul says in this passage, the days are evil. In other words, many are squandering their lives. That's the common general reality of where we live. Many are giving their attention, their effort, and worship to worthless idols of this world. Many are pursuing worthless endeavors. That's the common reality of the world we live in. We live in evil days where men and women are squandering their lives that were given to them on things that have no value and will be burned up in the judgment of eternity. And he says to the church, but in contrast, you live differently. Dear friends, you and I must approach worship with purpose. The psalmist writes, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us be rejoice and be glad in it. Now is the opportunity to worship Jesus. I don't know, friends, if you have another moment. I don't know if this world has another moment. But I know that right now we have an opportunity to worship the name of Jesus. Dear friends, gather to worship with the intention and purpose to use the time the Lord has given us and to use it well for his glory. Worship, dear friends, in, with integrity. Secondly, worship in faithfulness. Look at what he says in verse 17. Now, there's a contrast here that he's making, and I'll point it out. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your your heart. Now, 
There's a contrast he's making between the spirits of the world, drunken alcohol that leads to drunkenness, and the spirit of the living God that leads to, to righteousness. But the, the, the basic idea here is that our worship ought to be faithful to the Lord. We ought to worship in faithfulness. Now, a couple of things here. Number one, we worship that we might be, that we might be knowing the will of God. Now, notice what he says in verse 17. He says, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, the question every Christian struggles with is this question. What is the will of God for my life? If you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, you have asked this question, you have prayed about this question. God, what is your will for my life? We ask that about um, what jobs we should pursue, what school we should go to. We ask that question about who we should marry. We ask that question about how we should proceed in major life decisions, in everyday decisions. Christians are constantly asking, Lord, what is your will for me in this particular area? Now, many attempt to understand the will of God through a dramatic word or revelation. I I've heard people say, oh, I wish God would just write me a letter. Dear John, do this, don't do that. That's my will, signed God. Now, that would be nice in some areas, wouldn't it? But that's not the primary way by which the Lord expresses his will to us. Notice the placement of this command. So the command to know the will of God follows the command to be careful and purposeful, verses 15 and 16. And it precedes the command to reject being controlled by the worldly things. Verse 18, don't be drunk. That's debauchery. It precedes the command to be filled with the Spirit and actively participating in the worship of the church. Verses 19 and 20. And I think the point is that knowing the will of God comes in the context of doing the will of God. In other words, do what you know the will of God is, and, you, and as you do, God will continue to express further understanding, deeper understanding of what his will is. Now, friends, I just want to press this. It's a bit foolish for you to expect God to speak dramatically into your life if you're not participating in the basic things that God has already given you to speak into your life. Bible study, worship, prayer time. That's the primary way God speaks into your life. The question of how do you know the will of God, that begins with being faithful in worship. Being faithful in worship, being faithful in Bible study, being faithful in the things of the Lord, through those things God speaks into our life, and in through those things we come to know the will of God. Worship and faithfulness leads to knowing the will of God and it leads to being filled with the Spirit of God. Look at verse 18. He says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled be filled with the Spirit. Now verse 18 is that contrast verse between being filled with the spirits that dull the mind alcohol and being filled with the Holy Spirit that honors and glorifies God. Now, on the most basic level, this is a clear rejection of the dulling effects of the things of this world, like alcohol. But there's more here. The distractions of this world draw our attention away from the eternal. 
being filled with being spirit filled is not something that happens to you passively. Listen to me carefully here. Being filled with the Spirit of God is not something that happens to you passively. If you spend your week filling your mind and your heart with the things of the world, your worship on Sunday will be weak and shallow. Listen to me carefully. If you've been listening to trash all week, you've been watching smut all week, you've been thinking about the things of this world all week, and then you come to church and you don't understand why God doesn't bless your heart while you're here, Dear friends, you're expecting something. You're filling your heart and mind with worldly things and then expecting godly things to happen to you in an instant. Being filled with the Spirit of the living God, being Spirit-led, Spirit-felt, is not a passive thing. Fill your mind with the things of God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday's worship will blow your heart up. Be in God's Word, and when the preacher stands in the pulpit, the preaching will be more powerful to you. Be in your prayer closet. Be in your prayer closet. And when, when God's word comes, it'll bless your heart. When you fill your life with the things of God, when you worship, it'll be greater and fuller and more meaningful to you. If you spend your week filling your mind and heart with the things of the world, your worship on Sunday will be weak and shallow. But if you spend your week filling your mind and heart with the things of God, then your worship on Sunday will be the overflow expression of a heart filled with the Spirit of the living God. Spirit-filled worship doesn't start on Sunday. It starts on Monday. Knowing the will of God, filled with the Spirit of God. Notice, too, he talks about declaring the Word of God. Verse 19, he says, addressing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Being filled with the Spirit has a byproduct of the outward expression of speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, of singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. When we gather for worship, the preacher is not the only one who declares the Word of God. Listen to me carefully here. When we gather for worship, the preacher is not the only one who declares the Word of God. You declare the Word of God, to one another in conversations, in the hallway, before church and after church, as you're discussing what the Lord has been speaking to you this week, when you're talking about how the Lord has been using Scripture to instruct you lately, when, you, when you're talking about how you've been praying, when, when you talk about how God's been moving in your life, all of those conversations are in part speaking the Word of God in psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. We declare the Word of God to one another when we sing and when we pray in worship. We, we sang for a while this morning, and as we were singing, we were declaring to one another the Word of God, the, the truth of God. A bit of a confession for you here. When I was a young Christian, I mistakenly thought that spirit-filled worship had something to do with the genre of music 
being sung. Now, there's a reason for that. Because in my experience, most of my experience had been that older forms of music were dry and dull, and those who were singing it looked like they were bored out of their mind. Y'all been in those church services, haven't you? And I had experienced some other worship experiences, in general, more modern forms of worship where there seemed to be much more excitement. Now, I say mistakenly because as, as God gave me more experience and more time, what I discovered was that the, the intensity and passion of the worship has almost nothing to do with the genre of the music. It has everything to do with those who are singing it. Because, friends, I'm going to tell you, I've been in every kind of worship service, from the most high church to the most, you know, theatrical, moving lights, all that kind of stuff. And I've been in every one of those genres. I've been in, in churches where it is dead as a, uh, as a, as a doornail and spirit-filled. Some of the most moving experiences I have had in worship have been without any of the accoutrements of, that we normally have in church, like instruments and those sort of things. It's just been a couple of believers gathered together, not singing well, but singing uh, to Jesus with their whole heart. The distinguishing issue is not the style of music. The distinguishing issue is the believers that are singing. It matters if you're singing a confession of faith or you're just making notes and words come out of your mouth. Anybody can sing songs. The world can sing beautiful songs and make beautiful music. But only those who know Jesus can worship. Dear friends, let the moments we have together be the overflow from a life that is devoted to the Lord and in all things declare the word of God. When we gather, friends, declare the word of God. Whether we are singing, whether we are praying, whether we're talking in the hallways, and let that be the overflow of what's been in your life all week long. One last thing. Ultimately, worship is not consumer-focused. In other words, it's not about us. Worship is for the glory of God. Look in verse 20 and 21. Paul writes, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Two things about worshiping for God's glory. First is, dear friends, we need to develop a lifestyle of worship. So Paul writes in verse 20 that we are to give thanks always and for everything. He's not saying that we must be continually in a formal worship service. He's not saying that, that we are to live uh, uh, constantly in the context of people gathered together in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a planned worship service. No, what he's saying is that we are to live a lifestyle of worship. Johnson Oatman wrote these words, count your many blessings, count them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. But then he said, 
When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. You know what he's talking about? Is in the day in, day out of life, having our attention on the glory of God. All of creation calls us to worship God. Romans 1 says no one's without excuse because of the testimony of creation. The abundant grace of God calls us to worship God. He has abundantly provided for us. Romans 12 calls us to be living sacrifices of worship before the Lord. Dear friends, a lifestyle of worship will bless the worship ministry of the church. Now listen to me carefully. If we are stuck in a consumer understanding of worship, then worship begins and ends and rests completely on the planning, the, the, the production, and the event of the worship service on Sunday morning. But friends, listen, if we have a biblical understanding of worship and you are living a lifestyle of worship, this ceases to be the beginning and end and only thing, and this begins to be the overflow of what is happening all week long. When you gather with other believers who are living a lifestyle of worship, gather with other believers to sing the songs of our confession, gather with other believers to testify what God is doing in our life, gather with other believers to celebrate, to love, to hear the Word of God preached. A lifestyle of worship will bless the worship ministry of the church. And then there's another thing here that may seem disconnected, but I, I hope you'll see how it, it cannot be separated, and that is that to have an attitude of submission. Worship for God's glory with an attitude of submission. So this passage is followed by Paul's teaching on how we are to relate to one another. And in verses 22 to, 20, uh, uh, to 33, he talks about the relationship of wives and husbands. And he talks about how we are to submit to one another. In, in chapter 6, he begins with discussing of children and parents and and uh, submission there in those relationships. And then uh, verse, uh, verses 5 through 9 in chapter 6, he talks about bond slaves and masters and, and the re reality of submitting there in those relationships. Above all these relationships is the command to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. So, so before he talks about wives and husbands and uh, children and parents and bond slaves and masters, he first says in, in, in our passage in verse 21, submitting to one another out of, a, out of reverence for Christ. Now why would Paul include this? These words about the church, about us submitting to one another in Christ in the context of these words about the church expressing public worship and praise. Are we to connect submitting to one another to the previous teaching on worship? I believe the right answer is yes. By definition, listen to me carefully. By definition, worship requires submission. Worship, by definition, is a recognition that God is greater than you are. Worship understands that we are dependent upon God for everything. Worship is a testimony that God is worthy of all worship and glory, that we are not worthy of all 
worship and glory. We bow and worship as a testimony to all of these things that God is great, and we are not, and we are submitting to him. See, I believe we are able to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ because in worship we have already submitted ourselves before the throne of Christ. In worship we declare and confess again that Jesus is Lord and we are his obedient servants. And only from the submission of worship can we then, before the Lord in reverence to Jesus, submit to others as he has commanded that's why I think he connects this. That's why I think mutual submission to one another is connected to a lifestyle of worship. A lifestyle of worship puts us in the proper position, in the proper attitude, in the, in the proper submission to God that we might also submit to one another. Now, I am very, very thankful for all the things that the Lord has provided to us today that we use in, in worship. I'm thankful for the comfort of this building, aren't you? On cold days, I'm thankful that the heat runs. In South Georgia, on those hot days, I'm really thankful that the air conditioning runs. In my house, I have an old pew that came out of a, a primitive Baptist church out of Cockwood County, and it is the absolute most uncomfortable thing you will ever sit on in your whole life. I mean, it's terrible. I think whoever built it intentionally made it uncomfortable. Thinking about sitting on that for 10 minutes is unpleasant. Thinking about sitting on that all afternoon is really unpleasant. I'm thankful for padded pews, amen? And then you add to that all the other accoutrements that we enjoy. So the lights and instruments and musicians and all those things. I am thankful for all of those things. These things are good and they are great blessings. But none of them are required for worship. In Acts chapter 16, the Bible records that Paul and Silas had been imprisoned. Now, the, the reason why they had been in prison is twofold. Number one, they had been preaching the gospel, but what really got them in trouble is that a slave girl that was demon-possessed, they had set free from the demon. And her owner was absolutely infuriated. And they were thrown into prison and, 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 and they were ordered to be imprisoned and their feet were to be fashioned, uh, fastened in the stocks. And, and the next verse in chapter 16 has a very simple declaration of what they're doing. Chapter 16 of Acts verse 25 says, And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas in that moment were doing what Paul is teaching here in our passage. They were being abused by the government. They were in the unsanitary, uncomfortable, and unpleasant confines of a first century jail. They were surrounded by others who did not know Jesus, did not care about Jesus, were not concerned for them. But what do they do? They're not complaining. They don't scream and cry. They're not even demanding justice, even though they have been treated unjustly. 
What we find them doing in the dark recesses of that smelly prison at midnight was their singing and praying. They're worshiping. They were worshiping with integrity. In other words, they weren't wasting even that moment. They quite literally had a captive audience. They're worshiping and they're praying with intensity, with purpose. They were worshiping and praying with faithfulness, speaking the truth about God. And they were worshiping to and for the glory of God. God is worthy of declaring His glory when things are going well. And God is worthy of declaring His glory when everything falls apart. So whether you're sitting in the comfortableness of a pew, or fastened in stocks in the darkness of a first century prison, God is worthy of all glory and all worship. Oh, dear friends, let the church worship. Be a part of the church's worship. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.